With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This it's the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris, Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back. SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we have a loaded show for you this week. Dan Rayfield, longtime boxing writer, currently working over at Boxing Scene and at RingTV.com. We talk about all the news of the week from Canelo Alvarez's continued search for a new opponent. The boxing ratings continuing to dip. And Regis Prograde, now a promotional free agent. What's next for one of the top 140 pounders in the world? A little bit later on, Eddie Hearn. Matchroom Boxing, Matchroom Boxing USA. They returned this weekend in the U.S. with their first show post-pandemic. I talked to Eddie about his plans uh, for the next few months in the U.S., how his Fight Camp series is going, that and much more. Finally, Cecilia Brekus, the undisputed women's 147-pound champion. She is headlining this event uh, in Tulsa on Saturday night against Jessica McCaskill, putting her titles on the line. I talked to Cecilia about her preparation for this fight. Plus, why haven't we seen her in bigger fights against bigger opponents? You've got Clarissa Shields calling her out. Uh, She's been a welterweight for almost her entire boxing career. Why have we not seen her in some big-time fights? i get into that with Cecilia as well. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, one very easy way you can support it, Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Dan Rayfield. All right, Dan Rayfield is back on the show. Longtime boxing insider, ESPN USA Today, now doing work for Boxing Scene, Ring TV.com, Ring Magazine, amongst others. And he is a true friend of the pod. What's up, Dan? Hey, Chris. Good to see you in the bubble. Hope all is well down there. All is well, man. I am uh, bubbled up. I'm feeling <laughs> uh, safe from the COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, I'm getting really accustomed to uh, mediocre food and hotel beds. So There you go. There's worse things you can do. Um, but this, the boxing world <laughs> continues to to roll along, man. And, and a lot of stuff I want to get into with you. We were kind of talking offline about, you know, the, the topics for this podcast are more you know, not fight related than they are fight related. Cause right now yeah. uh, the fights are great. 
the ones have been put together uh, and the big names are still on the shelf. And the biggest name I want to talk to you about right now is still Canelo. And I think we're both in agreement that September 12th is not going to happen. We're about a month away from that uh, you know, presumed date and there still is no opponent, no schedule, no nothing. So it doesn't appear that Canelo is going to fight on his uh, favorite Mexican Independence Day uh, for the second year in a row. Uh, but at some point he has to fight. And th- there seems to be a pretty significant divide uh, when it comes to Golden Boy, DeZone, and Canelo about how to resolve all this. So what's your read on on this situation? What, what do you understand it to be that's going on uh, amongst these three parties? Well, a couple of things about it. Number one, like you said, September 12th is not happening. I mean, I don't think we're going to see like a formal announcement that it's not happening because they've never announced that it was happening. So they're not going to bring light to the fact that it isn't happening. But you can take it to the bank that he is not fighting on September 12th. Um, And in some ways, it's not that big of a deal because part of the reason the attraction of the holiday weekends for him in May and September is because it brings the huge crowds to the casinos and, you know, on their holidays and it's a big party. But if you can't sell tickets or have crowds, what Saturday night you fight on is really not not relevant because you can't bring those fans in from Southern California, from Mexico, uh, you know, and throughout the boxing world, it really doesn't matter what weekend it is. So uh, without crowds, September 12th doesn't really matter. But the issue right now is serious because you have a a contract between Canelo and his own that calls him to be paid $35 million. Uh, He's been having problems with, with, his promoter golden boy, but this issue now with, with the zone from everything I have been told and read into it and talk to different people, this is actually sort of bringing golden boy and Canelo closer together because they're sort of on the same side in this, whereas they, they want what they're supposed to get in the contract and the zone wants to pay them less because of the pandemic and the, the, the problems that they've had with their subscriber base. Cause they haven't had big fights to offer. And the fact that, uh, that, you know, there's just not that sort of mega opponent that that's going to make them happy. They want the triple G fight. They signed off on the Billy Joe Saunders fight for May with the stipulation that they had a deal agreed to for the triple G fight to be next. Now here they've signed him to this huge contract. They're now going to be two years into the contract and they still are not going to get that big fight that they want. And they're not happy about it. And they're taking no prisoners. I mean, um, they want to slash the money that they want to pay Canelo dramatically. And if you're Canelo Alvarez, you know, maybe you take some less money. You know, he's, you know, an understanding person and you know the issues that are going on. And maybe you can make take a little less and work something out and make him whole on the back end or defer some money. Or there's different ways to, to work out these deals. But if they just come to you and say, we want to cut you dramatically, and I, I don't know the exact dollar figure, but it's a lot. Uh, you know, he's like, what are you talking about? You have a contract. I'm supposed to fight. Let's get it done. But, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't look good right now. I think um, – I would say at the moment, you know, they're playing both sides are sort of playing hardball. Maybe it's just uh, sort of uh, posturing a little bit, but it would not shock me if they wound up in some kind of litigation. Hopefully that doesn't take place. But, you know, if he can come back and they can agree on things, maybe we'll see him in the ring, you know, in the later part of the year. But again, even if you you still can't have fans, I'm not sure how that's going to help the bottom line for either side. Um, Like I said, I think Canelo is willing to take less money. Question is how much less money and, Clearly, there's a difference of opinion between him and his team and the folks that that run the zone. Do you think they figured out the other side of it, though? Because, you know, you talked to Eddie Hearn. I talked to Eddie Hearn. Um, Eddie's not suggesting that there's any deal in place for Callum Smith or Billy Joe Saunders. And, I mean, that's a part of all this, right? Like, if you are 
they're not coming to the table, Golden Boy and Canelo, with any type of, of deal for these guys. I mean, I, I, that how, how big a part of it is that, like not being able to to find the opponent at this point? Well, I think that's a big problem because, you know, as far as I know, and I've, I've talked to actually some people involved in this just over the last few days, there, to my knowledge, there's no actual, they've made offers here and there, but obviously it's dependent upon Canelo getting what he believes he's supposed to be getting contractually from the zone to do the fight. But uh, that, that would say that there's no actual deal done for Callum Smith or any other of the, you know, a million fighters from 160 to 175 that have been mentioned as possible opponents. So there's no deal. And I have to say, it, it, my understanding is that, that the tensions between the sides have gotten so bad at this point that when it comes time to do Canelo conversations and business, the Golden Boy team and Canelo's lawyer are not even speaking at the moment directly with John Skipper, who runs the uh, zone. He's the executive chairman. They are speaking with the team around Len Blavatnik, who's the owner of the network, speaking with his, with his legal representation about this. So John, uh, you know, who's been, uh, you know, I worked for John for many years when he was the top executive at ESPN. He's a, a very well thought of uh, executive. He does a, you know, I, I thought he did a great job when I worked for him at ESPN. Um, but there's, there's an issue here. Uh, between this one client and, 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 you know, and talent and, and the executive side of things. So, uh, you know, it's gone even above him uh, as they try to get this squared away. And How hopefully much, let me ask you this. Can, can get together. I brought this up with Keith Eideck last week, and I'll, I'll pose it to you as well. I, I, I think that some of this tension, or at least the resolve being shown by DAZN, has to do with the fact they didn't get the Golovkin fight last year. I mean, sure. it's it's there's not a direct connection necessarily because I mean, who the hell could have predicted a global pandemic last year? But if if Golovkin had fought Canelo in September of last year and they had been able to get that fight off their books and get the subs that came with it and built the momentum they hoped they'd have to finish 2019, I honestly believe that DAZN would probably be a little bit more accommodating to Canelo right now. I think they'd be more I, willing to to do stuff with him. But because Canelo dug in his heels, and for what seems like completely personal reasons, like it wasn't professional, like there's he would have made a ton of money to fight Golovkin. Golovkin knew what he was going to get as well. Golovkin was coming off that win over Steve Rolls. Because Canelo made it personal, or at least took the personal stuff uh, into account in all this, uh, he didn't except that fight. And now here we are with the zone going to have to pay Golovkin again to fight somebody else before he fights uh, Canelo Alvarez, the third fight of this deal that they're going to pay him uh, not to fight Canelo. And I think that that's led to some pretty raw feelings um, within the offices there's, over there. There's no question about that, but here's the thing about it. They, they uh, if the pandemic had not have happened, Canelo would have fought. Gennady would have fought the mandatory and they would have been fighting the next fight. But because May didn't happen, and neither did a spring fight for Triple G, it's knocked everything off schedule-wise. Combine that with the fact that the Zone spent four months without having a single stitch of live programming, at least in terms of you know, I can't speak for the soccer and other stuff, but in terms of boxing and you know other sort of American-based sports that they are involved with, they had nothing to show. I mean, they had you know your podcast and some other studio-type programming, but in terms of things that drive real subscriptions. Uh, and, and and get a lot of attention like a big Canelo fight would have. They didn't have that. So they were sort of feeling it from both ends. And, you know, I can't blame them for being upset. Uh, you know, they've already given Canelo three fights. Uh, the first one against Rocky Fielding was one that was already done and set before he signed. That was sort of like the gimme. Then is the first two real fights under the $35 million part of the agreement. 
He fought the two best guys out there other than Golovkin. That was Danny Jacobs, which was a big fight that everybody wanted to see at the time. Then he moved up two weight classes and he fought against uh, Sergey Kovalev and was a, was a pretty big deal fight in my mind. And uh, was going to have the Saunders fight. And then the next fight was supposed to be Golovkin. But of course, you know, who could have predicted this? So the, the, I think one of the issues here and both sides, you know, have to understand that what's preventing all this is nothing that they can do anything about and nothing that the other side can do anything about because they can't control what's happening with the global pandemic. And so it's, it's caused them to all have to sort of figure things out. And it's leading to a lot of, like you said, bad feelings and, and issues and, and possible legal threats and, you know, combing through contracts for fine print about this and that and what's guaranteed and what's not guaranteed. And, you know, it's a, it's a big mess. And, you know, the, the losers are DAZN, our Canelo, our Golden Boy, and our boxing fans. Hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't think it gets resolved anytime soon. But to your point, it, it doesn't really matter because of the, the crowd situation and, and that September 12th date. And you can even make an argument, and I don't think that anybody wants to make this argument, but, you know, college football is falling apart. We don't know if the NFL is going to fall apart. If you push this thing into late October, uh, early November, you get away from the NBA as well. Like there could be a real void in fall and winter months for people to watch something on TV when, you know, in the colder months, people stay inside more and and watch TV. So there's a possibility that um, if they can figure out their issues, they, they won't take too big a hit on his next fight. Well, to that point, as you just mentioned about the, the the fact that college football is sort of falling apart. I mean, some conferences have canceled. I think we're going to see quite a few more, uh, you know, and others certainly among the big five. But they're already making plans at ESPN, losing many college games already that they would have been televising to ramp up the number of boxing events that Top Rank is going to do. So they don't necessarily have all those dates set yet. But as one person from Top Rank said to me yesterday when I was speaking to them, oh, it's going to be a busy fall. In other words, they already knew they were going to have X number of dates, you know, in September, October, uh, you know, throughout the rest of the year, whether they were the regular ESPN fights or the ESPN plus fights. But now you you can probably take it to the bank uh, just as much as the fact that Canelo is not going to fight on September 12th, that there'll be additional boxing events on the top rank uh, ESPN schedule in the coming months. Because, again, they're going to want to fill up uh, that live programming void. And when the NBA is going to be over, uh, you know, baseball, hopefully they can reach a conclusion, but they'll be done by you know, you know, earliest, you know, part of November. And then they're going to have pretty much the rest of November, December, January, where you have tons of, of uh, football, live football for college, uh, not to mention all the studio programming as it relates to the NFL, which will also probably not be there because if there's no NFL games, you know, there's even more programming to fill. So, you know, we'll see more boxing uh, and, and hopefully the zone and golden boy and everybody can figure out their business and bring us more, more fights. Uh, when, like you said, people are going to be home in the winter months, stuck inside, you know, watching uh, TV. It's easy now, frankly, because you know, it's beautiful outside. You can take a walk, you can go to the pool, you can, you know, go golf, you can go camping, you, you know, you do a lot, you can sit outside, you can do a lot of stuff, take a bike ride, whatever it is. But it's not the same if you live in a cold weather area and it's the middle of January or December, forget about it. Yeah, no question. So let's talk about boxing's return over these last uh, few weeks and months. Yeah, Top Rank and their run uh, temporarily at the bubble in Las Vegas. They had a couple of shows that were decent, but uh, the numbers were eh, middle of the pack. Middling, I guess, is the way you could put it. Uh, You had Showtime return with some pretty bad numbers in their first fight back. 
Uh, PBC on Fox came back this past weekend, and you know, on paper the number looks good. But you have to remember, Fox is you know one of the main broadcast networks. They're effectively a broadcast firehose. So doing you know eight hundred plus thousand with a peak of just over a million is not a all that impressive number uh, for Fox. What have you interpreted from seeing these early ratings and and how it impacts boxing? I mean. I'm not trying to hate on anybody. I want everybody to succeed, whatever company, whatever promotion, whatever network. Uh, you know, I know all these people. They work hard. They're trying to put on good events. So this is not a knock on on those folks at all. I know how hard I wrote. I've, I've written, I wrote the cover story for Ring Magazine uh, on the current issue, which was about the return of boxing in the bubble, and and detailed all the things that Top Rank went through to try to get this off the ground, and just the minutia and just the unbelievable things that they had to deal with to get these fights to take place. So all credit to them for doing that. Problem is they, they, for a variety of different reasons, none of these companies have been able to deliver truly meaningful, significant fights. So the combination of that plus fighters that are maybe not as well known without a big fight to get people excited for the sport to look forward to the ratings to be, you know, again, I'm not trying to hate anybody. They've stunk. That's all there is to it. The ESPN numbers were, were pretty poor. Uh, the, the Showtime number for their first fight back, again, they put on a solid card, but really have to be to the total diehards because a lot of those guys were really completely unknown. There was not that much promotion for the show, uh, which was uh, you know where Angelo Leo won a vacant 122-pound world title. They produced a historically low rating figure for Showtime, and they've been doing boxing since the mid-'80s. Um, you know, and the PBC card, like you mentioned, on Fox, you know, you're, you're supposed to do over a million buys – or a million viewers, rather – when you're when you're when you're on a main free network and you know that was among one of the ever since fox did the rights deal with pbc a couple of years ago this i have to look at the final numbers but i'm pretty sure it was either the lowest or among the top the top two or three lowest that they've had since they've been in that particular deal you can even go back to when they were in the time by part of that deal and it was among the lowest ever so everybody's got to pick up their game in promotion number one Number two, they have to put on some more compelling fights. Again, the show on Saturday with the main event on PBC, which was Jamal James against Thomas DeLorme, that's a pretty solid fight. There was nothing wrong with it. In the ring, it turned out to be entertaining. If you watched it, you were not displeased or unhappy. Good decision, good action, back and forth, evenly matched. You know, it had what you want to see. So that's a credit to PBC to make a good fight. But for some reason, uh, the viewers did not want to see it. I mean, I, I don't have an answer for it but, it. but if you look at boxing across the board, all the major companies in this country – and on their broadcasters are, are down um, in a time when so many businesses are down. So, you know, I guess we have to maybe call it the new normal, as they say, but I don't have an answer for it. But I do know one thing that would help. If we could somehow, whether there's fans or no fans, somehow, somewhere, figure out a way to get a couple of the bigger fights, some of the bigger stars, uh, you know, either, either Tyson Fury back in the ring or Anthony Joshua back in the ring or Canelo Alvarez or Triple G. Or, or any or any of the, the fights that we want to see. Now, that there's some good fights on the schedule coming up. I think the Gervonta Davis fight against Leo Santa Cruz is a hell of a fight, but it's on pay-per-view. I think the two Charlo fights that are on uh, on the upcoming show in September, but they're both on, pay, on, a, on a combined pay-per-view. So now you're asking folks to pay even more. And I, I understand the, how the business works, so I get that, but it doesn't help the sport as a whole to put those caliber events on pay-per-view. I don't have an answer. Yeah, and this... Uh the lack of interest right now isn't just stateside. I mean, you look over at the UK, you've got Frank Warren doing these shows for BT Sport with like some 
unbelievably low numbers. And Eddie Hearn, his fight camps haven't, you know, set any kind of ratings on fire. I mean, I think his most recent one, the average was under 100,000, peaking at like two. I mean, those are are low numbers uh, for Eddie. He put on a good card. Like the the, the Cheeseman Eggington fight was was excellent. Yeah, it was a good card. It was a very good card. So I I don't know. Again, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Frank Warren shows, which have been shown in the States also, uh, you know, on the ESPN platforms, you know, they, they put on, for example, Joe Joyce in a complete walkover fight as they're, you know, he's coming back after a long layoff. They're supposed to be setting up the fight against Daniel Dubois, which was supposed to have already taken place. But because so many events were canceled when the virus started, uh, they just felt like, you know, let's get them back out there, put them in, a, you know, the tune up and let them fight each other in October. So Joe, Joe Joyce had his fight a couple of weeks ago. Dubois was supposed to fight later in August. And then hopefully we'll see them in the real fight come uh, the fall. But, you know, this just shows that if you can't have crowds which provide a significant amount of revenue for an event, it's very difficult to have the top guys, not only the top guys fight whoever, but certainly to have the top guys fight each other. I'm going to be very, very interested to see how they perform on pay-per-view when it comes time to see what happens with Errol Spence against Danny Garcia, an excellent fight. But are people going to spend $75 uh, at this time to see that, it remains to be seen. And the same thing can be said about the two Showtime pay-per-view fights that have been announced with the two Charlotte brothers on the one card and uh, Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz on the other card. Again, good matchups, but uh, you know, pay-per-view sends a whole different situation. I think if those were on Showtime or Fox or whatever platform, they would get probably good numbers because there'd be a lot of excitement among boxing fans, probably a lot of press, a lot of stories, a lot of discussion. But uh, you move it to pay-per-view, there'll still probably be a lot of stories in discussion, but whether people will pony up for it, that remains to be seen. I, I, especially I when these... Blockbuster events in that sense. Yeah, especially with these pay-per-views start to rack up. You know, if you're going one, sometimes two per month, uh, it's tough to get people to make that type of commitment to, you know, financially. You know, it's tough anyway, especially during a pandemic. What I'm curious about, Dan, is how long these stars are really going to wait. I mean, we don't have a fight for Canelo. We don't have a fight for Terrence Crawford. We don't have a date yet for Anthony Joshua. Fury Wilder is still on the shelf. I mean, you go down, not the top 10 pound for pound guys, throw Manny Pacquiao on that list. The most marketable guys, the guys that that draw the most eyeballs for boxing, they're waiting right now to see what happens. And I don't blame them for waiting because you know, if you're Fury Wilder, you got a $17 million live gate. Like you're not going to give that up unless you have to. But like, what's like, how long do you wait? Like if you get into September, October, and you have states like Nevada or California and or or even Texas, like states that are traditional money-making gate states for boxing. And if the Middle East still isn't open for business, which right now it's not, like, do you are you willing to shelf yourself for another six to eight months? Like that's that I think is a question that fighters are going to have to kind of weigh internally. Like, you know, are they willing to like take a 25% haircut, maybe more uh, to, to make a paycheck or do they wait and, you know, put their career on hold for a pretty long while? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Some guys like the Canelos, for example, or Joshua or even Wilder and Fury who have made so much money in the recent past, you know, you know, touching on nine figures for some of these guys that for them to wait an extra six months, they don't need the money. So they probably would be more willing to do so. All right, let's talk about a fight that I'm pretty excited about that is almost all the way there. That's Ryan Garcia against Luke Campbell. Uh, Eddie Hearn said this week that there's a deal in principle. It sounds like they'll come to a conclusion on that either in the U.S. or the U.K. sometime in November. Um, 
how big a test is this for Ryan Garcia? I think the whole boxing world is excited about Ryan Garcia's chances to become a big-time star in the sport. He's coming off back-to-back spectacular first-round uh, knockouts. Romero Duno went down. Francisco went, Fonseca went down more spectacularly. Uh, he's got the looks. He's got the following. Um, and now he faces a guy that on paper should be his toughest fight to, uh, to date. I mean, how big a challenge do you see Luke Campbell as, uh, for Ryan Garcia? I think it's a serious challenge, no question. Uh, Luke Campbell may not be a uh, world champion at the moment, but he gave in a world title fight, gave him Linares. He traveled from the UK to California to fight Linares in a very, very close fight. He lost, but it was super close. And even though in his next title opportunity uh, against Lomachenko, where he fought him in London, you know, in front of a hometown crowd, he lost again. It was fairly wide on the scorecards. So it looks like a blowout. But if you watch each individual round, it wasn't like he was completely blowout in each round. It was, you know, he, he, he provided Lomachenko with some competition, which is hard for you to find too many guys in Lomachenko's career that have done that. So I think this is a huge, huge test for Ryan Garcia. I'm glad that the Golden Boy and Eddie were able to come to an agreement, avoid the purse bid. Um, and more significantly, it's one thing for the promoters to work their business out. But, you know, it's been well documented, all the issues that have been going on in the recent past between Golden Boy and Ryan to, to get themselves on the same page. Um, I've not spoken to Ryan, but I did speak with Eric Gomez uh, about this for a story that I wrote for the Ring uh, Magazine's website, where he said, look, yes, we made a deal where, you know, they asked the WBC for a seven-day extension of the purse bid. Uh, that was then to be able to just finalize the paper and put everything on and get the contract signed. So they both went to the organization, they gave them a permission. So within the seven days of when that purse bid was to take place sometime next week, they should have everything papered. But the key here is that Eric Gomez said to me, uh, whatever issues they may have had with Ryan in the past about trying to uh, put on his fights like they tried to do a fight earlier this year. Instead, when Ryan turned it down, didn't like the money, they gave the date to Virgil Ortiz and it looked spectacular against Samuel Vargas. But now Eric Gomez says that they, in fact, have uh, uh, a deal and are on the same page and everything is cool with Ryan Garcia. So if they're united and you have uh, Eddie Hearn and, and Luke Campbell, you know, this is a dynamite fight. And, and, the, and the thing is that I like about it also, besides just the matchup itself, because I'm, I'm very excited about that. I think Luke's a dynamite technician. It was a great amateur. And, uh, you know, he's worthy of this kind of fight. Ryan Garcia has been looking for this kind of step-up fight for a while. And uh, I know how explosive he can be and how excited he would be for this caliber of a match. But the great thing about it is the winner of the fight, it's not only is it a great fight on its own, it sets up a potentially great fight beyond that because the winner of this fight is going to have the WBC's interim title. And I know I don't really put a lot of stock in interim titles, but what it means is that fighter is going to become the number one challenger to take on Devin Haney, who's the WBC's champion. So if that, you know, and that's a doable fight also, because if, if, if Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, and Luke Campbell are all associated of having their bouts on the zone in the United States, it makes it easier to get those kinds of fights done. Shouldn't really be anything holding it back. Now, you know, I'm a little skeptical maybe that we'll see Haney against uh, Garcia, but stranger things have happened. But I'm, I'm not want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I'm, I'm super excited about Garcia and Luke Campbell. It's a really good fight. may not be the biggest fight, but it's the kind of fight that can happen in a pandemic because, you know, yes, it would generate a gate in either country because both guys have popularity at home, but it's not such an enormous gate that they can't figure out a way to overcome that. It's not millions and millions of dollars that they would have to leave on the table like it would be if it was even a couple million for Lopez Lomachenko all the way up to, you know, the 17 million that you mentioned that did, uh, that came into the, to the, to the till for uh, Wilder and Fury too. So good fight, big test, important fight, and the kind of fight that can be done in these, uh, you know, 
weird times without having crowds to be able to buy tickets. Yeah, and Garcia is one of those guys that even at 22 years old, he, he's risen above the belts, right? Like, yeah, I, I loved it watching. Well, like, I, the, I mean, I don't he know looked, about but, that. He, but he, he he's risen above the belts at least when it comes to Devin Haney because we both know that Eddie Hearn and Devin Haney would make that fight tomorrow. Like that, they want him, not vice versa. Like it's it's more that's more the dynamic when it comes to that specific uh, matchup. And, you know, Gervonta... I still, I still think, though, that that at his age and where he's in his career, belts still matter to him. You know, at the later stage of an Oscar De La Hoya career or Canelo's career or a lot of superstar fighters, Sugar Ray Leonard, whoever it was, they didn't need belts at that time. Ryan Garcia is just a young kid who's still starting out as he's still not really fought the top guys. He needs a belt to validate himself in many ways, in my mind. But people want him is more my point. Like it, he, yes. yes, he does need to be become a world champion in a legitimate world championship fight. But the all these title holders, you know, that are and not I'm not speaking of Lopez and Lomachenko necessarily because they're uh, on their own doing their own separate thing. But there are a lot of fighters between 130, 135, even 140 that would jump at the chance to fight Ryan Garcia because that popularity brings a bigger paycheck. And as you know, that transcends titles as much as anything the pay Mm -hmm. matters more than the belt there but let let me say that there's one thing about uh luke campbell in this fight eddie made it clear in his comments to sky that it could take place either in the u.s or the uk and his deal with the zone like the you know being in the uk may not be a bad thing for them because they plan to launch globally at some point um I like if if crowds are allowed to go into the venues in the UK by the time this fight gets made, I love the idea for Ryan Garcia. It's almost a rite of passage, Dan, for young fighters to go overseas and fight big fights. We saw Terrence Crawford win his first title off Ricky Burns. We saw Errol Spence go over there and beat up on Kell Brook. Like, it's not the same thing necessarily, but I would love to see how Ryan Garcia responds in a hostile environment. And you know from being at, at many of those shows, I mean, those UK fans are legit. So if they, they you know, Luke Campbell's not the biggest of stars, but they'll be there to support him in mass. And I think it'd be a great experience for Ryan Garcia. Yeah, I think that would be terrific. And I think obviously if they're able to do a fight with the crowd, uh, uh, in attendance in the United States. And, you know, Lucas fought in, in America on, you know, more than one, one occasion. Certainly the, the biggest fight he had with Linares. You know, the, the way that it was described to me by uh, Eric Gomez is that they have worked out different parameters of their deals for each side. If it's in the UK, it's this provisions. If it's in the United States, it's under these provisions. So they've really, I think they've gone through and very meticulously gone through it because there are so many variables. That, that's one of the reasons it probably took a long time to get the deal done was because they had to work through all those scenarios. You know, well, what if we can't have crowds in America, but we can in Britain? What if it's, you know, vice versa? But um, but I agree. I think Ryan Garcia's got the kind of personality and mentality where, you know, he, he enjoys the crowd adulation when he fights in a place like Southern California. But he's also got something in him where, you know, he can have like that, you know, almost like he's, he'll smile and look great and then stab the guy in the back, you know, like where he's got that cold-bloodedness in him. I think he would thrive in that kind of hostile territory where, you know, be a, be a great heel in that environment. So I think they're down for whatever. I know Ryan just wants to prove himself. Obviously Luke wants to, you know, get that, get that, uh, you know, young guys, uh, the, the popularity uh, that Ryan has and, 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 and show, look, you may be popular, but I'm the better fighter. It, there's really, it's, there's so many good things about that matchup and I can't wait for it. I'm glad they made the deal. Uh, but before I move off golden boy for a second, uh, we know that Jorge Linares is out of his fight August 28th against Javier Fortuna, contracted COVID uh, while overseas. 
Uh, Golden Boy wants to, and you report on this, Golden Boy wants to put forth Hector Tanahara, uh, a young prospect that was supposed to fight last month on the Virgil Ortiz card. Uh, he is in the same weight class as Javier Fortuna as the replacement for that fight. Uh, they have not got the approval yet from DAZN, which ultimately has the, the final say. Uh, would you be okay with Hector Tanahara as a replacement for Fortuna? Absolutely. Or for Linares, I should say. Absolutely 100% yes. And I'll tell you, when I wrote the piece about that, about that situation for the ring, I was struck by this. And Chris, you know that that boxing Twitter out there is a jungle. You know, it's a horrible, horrible place. It's a sewer. And nobody agrees on anything, and they all want to call you names and, and say terrible stuff and whatever. So I was rather pleasantly surprised when I posted the link to that story and said this is what was happening because Linares was uh, not going to be able to partake in the fight with Fortuna. And I would say between the, the comments I saw on my uh, social media, on Facebook, as well as on Twitter, I think it was like basically 100%. I mean, maybe there was one or two comments I missed, but I went back and I read them and everybody was like, hey, you know what? All things considered on this short notice and given what's going on, that's a darn good save. You put a young guy like Hanahara, undefeated, great amateur, um, has looked you know pretty good as a pro, and you put him in that kind of test against Fortuna, who's maybe not you know pound for pound material, but he's a qualified competent, solid guy. He's, you know, had a couple of titles. He's been in some, some, uh, in some solid fights against name opponents over the years. You know, it's, it was a good test with Linares, but now it, what happens is instead of it being, you know, Linares against Fortuna, where it's all about Linares, now it really becomes about, you know, can Tanahara take that next step up? Now he's maybe not the class of prospect of say a Garcia, but he's pretty darn good. I mean, there's a reason why He's been featured on the undercards of most of Golden Boy's bigger shows recently. And, and, you know, and I'm not telling the zone how to do their business, but I'm a little surprised that it's taking this long to approve the fight because that's a very solid save. And the folks that are involved in the zone have to be familiar with Tanara because they, they do all the Golden Boy shows and he has boxed on several of the zone undercards. So they have the footage. They, they've seen those fights um, unless they're thinking about some other fighter switching the date. But if they're planning to stay on that date in August at the end of the month with Fortuna, that's a very, very interesting fight. Again, it's not, is it going to sell a gazillion subscriptions? Probably not. But, you know, you, there, there's two things here that go into the subscription business. You got to sell new subscriptions, but you also have to retain the people that you have. Now, I'm a subscriber and I don't want to have to cancel my DAZN subscription. So give me a solid fight and I'm going to keep it. And you give me, you know, and I'm understanding if Menaris and Fortuna can't happen, but you can put Donahar in that main event. Cal me in is interested. Yeah, I'm, I agree with much of what you said, and I think Tanahara is really the only acceptable replacement um, for a fight like that. I, I don't need to see Fortuna against, and I'm just throwing a name out, like a Ray Beltran type. Like, I don't need to see him in that, yeah, no, no. that type I, yeah, of fight. Right. I, I would say this, though. I would like to know the health status of Hori Linares. And if Hori Linares only needs three or four weeks of a postponement, where you would put this fight on September 28th or something like that, I, I would be more in favor of waiting. I, I am, it's not against Tanahara. I, I'm excited to see what Tanahara does in his career, but I look at the Linares Fortuna fight in the context of Ryan Garcia because if Linares wins that fight against Fortuna, he wins spectacularly, which I think we both agree could happen. Like, I think Linares could stop him in a fight like that. Well, I think in Fortuna, also is capable of stopping Linares. He I mean, is, he is. Oh, I agree. Linares, every time he loses, he gets have, knocked out. Uh, <laughs> yes, no question. Every time Linares gets an L, it's a knockout loss. But <laughs> if Linares wins that fight and wins it in a comparable manner 
to how he won his last fight, there would be huge momentum for an early 2021 fight against Ryan Garcia. So I just continue to look at it through the lens of Garcia. Like Garcia Linares would have been a fight that would have done a huge crowd Staples or someplace like Staples. If Linares gets another win and Garcia winds up beating Luke Campbell, Linares versus uh, Ryan Garcia in early next year is an even bigger fight than it would have been at that time. And it's a perfect fight for Ryan Garcia as he continues to build himself up to that world championship level. So I'm, I'm just more wondering, you know, if, if, you know, Jorge Linares comes out and says, just give me a month, man. That's all I need is postponing a month. I'd be okay with shifting the entire day. I understand you want to have fights and you want to give subscribers what they want, something to see, but I'm just more into Linares versus Fortuna than I am Tanahara versus Fortuna. No. And that's a, that's a very fair point. I I totally get that. Uh, You know, I think that one of the things that may have been part of them taking their time and whether they're going to approve the Tanahara matchup or not was to get some confirmation from the Linares camp, be it the the Tekken promotions folks in Japan or from Golden Boy or Linares himself about, okay, well, we understand that you're ill. No, you know, wish you good health and get back. But, you know, what are they saying as far as when you can, uh, you know, feel normal, get your fever down? Because this was not, just so people know, it wasn't a situation where he was asymptomatic and he just had to go through 14 days and try to shake it. He actually, you know, had some symptoms and was in the hospital and, you know, was going to be there for, I guess, I was told at least 10 days. So it was, you know, he's still got a, probably several more days to go before he's out. Um, but like you said, if, if it's just a matter of a short postponement, that's something they would have to consider. I, I think you're right about that. If it's going to be longer than that, because remember, now he's going to have to go back and train a yep. little bit more. There's still a little issue with the weight, probably. Then you have the long trip from Japan back to the States. It remains to be seen if he's coming off of having it. And I'm not an expert on, on immigration and all that. Are they going to allow him to come into the United States because of that? You know, those are all questions that those uh, folks involved are going to have to answer. Um, but, you know, in a just in a perfect world, if they could just postpone the fight for a few weeks, you know, I guess that's not unreasonable. Um, but I also don't think it's unreasonable to slide uh, a young uh, prospect that people think has got a good chance to do something into that slot uh, with Tanahara. Yeah, look, if, I'm, I think we're on the same page then. Like, if Linares is like, just give me a few weeks or whatever, I say you wait, but uh, you don't wait forever. And if he's like, I need two months, then okay, you go ahead and make the Fortuna fight. Hell, if uh, if Fortuna or whoever, if Tanahara wins, maybe you can turn around and make Tanahara Linares uh, in October, November. There's no reason to wait on a fight There's like also, that. you know, if they could do Fortuna and, and Tanahara on their own and Luke Campbell and Ryan Garcia do their fight, sometime in November, which is when it's being uh, discussed, you know, when it's being planned for the, the winner of, you know, especially if it's Lawrence, I mean, I'm sorry, if it's Ryan Garcia that beats uh, Luke Campbell, they're re- they don't have to go do tuna fights. They can just have Ryan Garcia and Lenaris fight each other. And what would be, you know, Lenaris's, uh, uh comeback fight from the illness, Ryan Garcia's first fight, I guess with the interim title, because even if they order the Devin Haney fight, it's probably going to take a little bit of time before they can put that together. Haney's probably going to want to have some kind of fight coming back after having his shoulder injury. I think he's supposed to fight probably sometime in October. Uh, but while waiting for the bigger fight with Haney, they could still go forward, go forward and try to make uh, Linares against uh, Ryan Garcia if Ryan is uh, victorious against Campbell. Yeah, I well, like that I fight. I don't think anybody needs or has a huge desire. There's not a demand necessarily for seeing Linares Campbell too, even though it was a close fight. It wasn't a great fight. No, yeah, no, no need for that. G- credit to Campbell for hanging in there and getting up after that knockdown, but uh, no. Uh, I don't need to see a second one there. Let me finish with um, a little bit of boxing free agency news. Regis Progre okay. uh, separates uh, from Lou DiBella. I think we all saw this coming for the better part of the last few weeks or months. 
Um, he is a promotional free agent. Uh, he has spoken to everybody. Um, I think he's headed for PBC, at least on some kind of short-term deal. Uh, I've heard Juan Geraldez's name mentioned as a prospective opponent for him in some kind of uh, a comeback-ish fight. Uh, what do you make of that situation, Dan? Uh, Regis separating from Lou, and what do you think his best options are as a free agent? Well, you know, it's disappointing that he and Lou would separate because they were very good for each other. Lou did a good job for him, and Regis, you know, obviously he was involved in some big fights that Lou helped him get, and Regis won most of them other than a very close loss to uh, Josh Taylor in the World Boxing Super Series Finals. So, you know, they were good for each other. Uh, uh, you know, you never like to see that break up. I'm really not sure what the reasons are, to be quite honest with you. I think there's a lot of stuff that was going on behind the scenes that didn't necessarily have to do um, with Regis himself. But the, but the main thing is you say, what's the best move for him free agent-wise? You know, if PBC is willing to give him a short-term deal and offer an opponent like Araldas for a good purse, I mean, to me, you take that because, you know, it's probably a win. He's going to get paid, and then he can go and go through the free agency again and still keep his options open for um, the winners of the next, you know, Ramirez and Postal are fighting later this month. You have uh, Josh Taylor is going to be fighting his mandatory also uh, coming in September. So there's going to be opportunities, um, you know, in that weight class. But the guys I just mentioned – they're with top rank. So you know, I don't know, you know, what the financial uh, considerations would be, what Regis is wanting to get paid for these fights. But if it's just in terms of you want to fight and listen, the fighters always say, I want to fight the best. I want to fight the best. If you fight the best, the money usually follows. So in terms of the competition out there, he's probably best served with top rank because they're the promoter for Ramirez who has two titles and they're the promoter uh, for Josh Taylor who has the other two titles. Now, if Victor Postal happens to pull the upset and gets the two titles, where does Victor Postel fight? He's a PBC guy. That deal was made between top rank and PBC. So he doesn't have to sign right away. He can sit back and wait and see what happens in a fight like that. And let's say Victor Postel has got the titles and he still has an opportunity to go for PBC. He can go there and maybe, you know, be guaranteed a shot at Postel or maybe same thing with top rank if he sees that Jose Ramirez is the winner. Um, and again, I don't know how much longer he wants to stay at 140. Eventually, he's going to probably want to be a welterweight. Now, he didn't want to do that for the the Maurice Hooker fight that was uh, on at a lower weight than canceled because he didn't want to go up that much more weight. Uh, certainly PBC is the land to be for welterweights. They've got all the top guys for the most part, other than Terrence Crawford. So I think he's probably, you know, best served at the moment. Talk to the different groups, see what they're offering, see what's out there. And you just have to sit back for a couple of weeks, really see what happens maybe in the Ramirez postal fight and then go from there. But I think, you know, Regis Progray is an outstanding fighter. He's one of the best fighters in the world. At 140, you know, even if he is coming off the loss and uh, he makes good fights, he's a, you know, you know, Chris, you know, you know we both interviewed him several times. He's a, he's a wonderful guy to talk to. He's got a lot of, a lot of uh, gift for gab and uh, he makes good fights. So there's, he, he's going to be a commodity. People are going to want to sign him. It's just going to be about, you know, whether they can, uh, they're in the same ballpark on the money. I am, I don't know the exact desires, but, uh, you know, his asking price is very high. I, I you know, blame him. yeah, I, I think PBC, both short and long term is what's best for Regis Progray. Uh, I don't think you can think about titles, at least not for a while, because we both know that um, if Ramirez wins and Taylor wins, they'll fight at some point in 2021. And I think the winner of that fight's gone. I think they go up to welterweight and become a challenger for Terrence Crawford at much bigger money at that point. It's more opinion than fact on, on that subject. So I, I think if you're Progray, you keep talking about becoming a title holder. I mean, is it really that important to you 
uh, to win a vacant title if that's the ultimate case. I think PBC is smart because, look, at, from what I hear, he's getting offered decent money to fight uh, Juan Geraldez, which I, I think would be a pretty easy win for him if he's in shape and and good to go. And then, I, you know, th- the name Adrian Broner keeps floating out there. And, and Broner's made some noise about coming back down uh, into the lower weight classes. I don't think he makes 135. That's probably a pipe dream. Uh, but 140. I have no interest in seeing Adrian Broner in a significant fight. Well, what about what if what if Broner can get low level wins over the next six months, and you get Progray in early 2021? I know, but like if he gets a couple of low level wins, I wouldn't mind seeing him against against Progray. I think that's a marketable fight. You know what? I'm done with Broner. So <laughs> what would you say? Okay, you're finished. That's. Uh... Listen, I, it's, this is not anything against Adrian, the human being. You know, I, I'm not doing anything against him. I, I actually rather like Adrian. I've known Adrian since he was about 18 years old and an amateur, or I should say uh, when he, right after he turned pro. Uh, and I've covered numerous of his fights. But he no longer takes boxing seriously. He doesn't deserve or hasn't gotten the wins to warrant these bigger fights. So to see him as just thrown in there as the opponent for Regis Prograde just to get a a name on the record that doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. I'm not into it. You know, let him, if he wants to be serious about boxing and I've seen stuff on social media, I'm going down to 135. I'll believe it when I see it, get your butt in the ring and win a couple of fights, get off Instagram and go do your job and then come see me. Otherwise until then I have zero interest in seeing Adrian Broner in a low level fight or a high level fight. You know what I think? I wonder Dan to finish up this, this topic. Um, a year from now, if we're sitting here talking about Regis Progray and we're sitting here talking about the career of Maurice Hooker, will they regret not coming to an agreement on that August fight? Like, they're not making, you know, the rest of this calendar year, neither one of them is going to make anything close to what they were scheduled to make, even with the pandemic discount uh, on that fight on the DAZN card. And, and not being able to come together over a couple of pounds, or even if it was just one pound at the very end, I mean, I... I wonder if both these guys, because from what I hear, Dan, you might hear something similar. Like Hooker's having a hard time finding fights, like fights that'll pay anything at this point. And uh, I wonder if both these guys will look back at seeing that as a pretty big mistake. I do think it was a mistake. The fight was made. They had signed contracts. They were they were uh, jerking around as it came down to the end. Like I think it was actually like a half a pound because Hooker had said to me, one forty four. Uh, or 145, and and Regis would only go up to like 144, whatever it was. It was very close. Yep. And you know these fights when they're they're hard enough to make in the first place. When it doesn't happen, you never make up that payday. These guys were both making for the fight, you know, in the higher six figures to do the match. Uh, they'd even already had the, you know, I attended the press conference that they had in Texas, you know, the day before or two days before uh, Jesse Vargas fought Mikey Garcia. You know, there was already, uh, you know, pretty decent amount of hype for the fight. Yes, it got postponed because of what was going on. But uh, it would have been, most likely, if they'd been able to keep it together, probably would have been the main event of Eddie's first show back, which is taking place on Saturday in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, it's you know, originally it was going to be Martinez in a, in a flyweight defense. Uh, that fell out, so they moved up the co-feature with Cecilia Brackus, the defender women's title. But it probably would have been Hooker and Progress to do that fight. It was a very fight, a very good fight that a lot of people had interest in. Like you said, I don't know when these guys are going to fight next. You know, Regis is, you know, going to, going to look around and he's talking to different promoters. Um, Maurice Hooker's contract is almost up with Eddie Hearn. I think he has one more fight left on that deal. But like you said, probably not going to make anywhere close to what he was going to make for the fight against uh, Regis had it taken place. So, you know, I can't sit here and say that they're both going to regret having not taken the fight because you don't know what they're going to get. 
I suspect that it's going to be easier for Regis to get a more of a name fight or a bigger paycheck at this moment than it will be for Hooker. So maybe maybe uh, Hooker will have more regret. But I have to say this. I know they signed at a certain weight to do the fight. Uh, but I, I, I'm, And I know it wasn't easy for him. And I, I talked to Maurice when it happened. And, you know, I feel for him. He's like, I just cannot make that weight at this point anymore. And so rather than BS everybody and go through the motions and say, I'm going to be on, you know, great shape, I'm making the weight, and then all of a sudden show up the day before the fight and be way over and just, you know, just cause a lot of controversy. At least he manned up and said, you know, months ahead of time, listen, I can't get down. So we can still do the fight. We have to adjust the weight. He was honest about it because it cost him the payday. You know, if he had struggled and not made the weight, but they still did the fight, maybe he takes a clip on a, on a fine, but he still gets paid and the fight happens even if he loses. So I'll give him credit for at least letting everybody know way in advance, look, we got to adjust the weight. Um, Regis is totally entitled to say no thank you, and that's what happened. I'm, I'm very disappointed. I was really amped up for that fight. And, uh, you know, maybe down the road at Welterweight someday in the future, you know, a couple years from now or whatever, we could see them back in the ring, you know, and actually get it on. But I think in the end, the person that probably will regret the fight not happening the most at this moment, if we're talking about one year from now, it's probably going to be Maurice Hooker, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, bird in the hand and money in the pocket. That was a significant amount of money they were both going to make uh, for that fight. Dan, always a pleasure, man. You can follow Dan on Twitter, at DanRayfield1. You can check Dan out uh, at Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and, of course, over at BoxingScene.com. Always good to catch up, Dan. Maybe next time we'll have some actual good fights, high-level fights we can get into on the podcast. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you, and enjoy the bubble. And, uh, you know, I was going to bring uh, some granola bars here for for you to show you on the podcast, but I left them in the cabinet. So Two words. Two words, Dan. Room service. I'm there covered. you go. Enjoy. Coming up next, my conversation with Eddie Hearn. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. 
Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Eddie Hearn is here. Matchroom Boxing, Matchroom Boxing USA. Eddie, you return in Tulsa. And you had a little bit of a tough time getting this main event put together. You had one fight fallout, Regis Progray against Mo Hooker. You had another fight fallout, Julio Cesar Martinez against McWilliams Arroyo. I guess that comes with the territory in boxing. And now you have a main event, the first main event, headlined uh, by two women, Cecilia Brekus and, of course, Jessica McCaskill, the 140-pound champion, competing at 147 pounds. How do you feel about this main event you put together? Well, I think it's great timing, you know, for women's boxing. I mean, you saw recently, you know, we've been pushing hard for, for years with Casey Taylor. She's been a standout star. You've seen other broadcasters follow suit. Obviously, Showtime with Clarissa Shields. You saw Michaela Meyer in a main event on ESPN the other night in just a, a normal 10-round fight. And now you have the undisputed welterweight championship with Cecilia Brackhouse against Chicago's Jessica McCaskill. So... I feel great. You know, I feel really passionate about pushing the women's side of the sport because it seems that we can make those unification fights, those undisputed fights, so much easier than we can in the men's code. In terms of the event itself, I mean, it's like a military operation at the moment. You know, we've we've got our third straight fight night here in the UK on Friday, but the regulations and, and the infection rate and, you know, the precautions and the testing that has to take place in America is far more significant than what we're having to accomplish here in the UK because of of the numbers. So, you know, you've seen the fighters go in almost dressed in, uh, you know, full protective equipment. I saw Cecilia Brackhouse with her PPE going across. And it's, it's bizarre. And it's bizarre where we're doing the fight. We're doing the fight on the streets of Tulsa in the middle of the financial district. And it's, it's wacky. It's wild. But so is the world we live in at the moment. So I feel like they're well suited. Is the plan for the winner of Brekus versus McCaskill to face the winner of Katie Taylor versus Delphine Pursun uh, later on this year? For sure. Yeah. I mean, look, when we signed Cecilia Brekhouse, the she wants the biggest fights out there in boxing. The McCaskill fight is a great fight. You know, McCaskill is the unified 140-pound champion. Great following. Very, very exciting. But for Cecilia, she's got her eyes now. She moves into probably the latter stages of her career in having those real defining fights. And the undisputed welterweight championship champion against the undisputed lightweight champion in Casey Taylor. 
would be the biggest women's fight of all time. And it's definitely something we're looking at. But, you know, I can't help also rooting for Jessica McCaskill because I remember when we brought her over to fight Katie Taylor as an experienced, I think, nine-fight novice. She gave her one of the toughest fights of her career so far. She's gone on to win the, the world championship to unify it as well. And, and her and Rick Ramos really believe they're going to upset the apple cart this Saturday in Tulsa and become the undisputed welterweight championship champion. It would be a hell of an achievement, you know, to go from challenging for the lightweight title to winning the unified 140 pound to moving up and, and winning the, uh, the undisputed championship at 147 pound. And it would actually make her a star. So plenty to fight for for Jessica McCaskill. But from a super fight perspective, Taylor against Breckhouse is certainly one we, we're keen to try and make subject to them winning two very tough fights. You had hoped to have Amanda Serrano as part of this mix uh, as recently as a month or so ago. I had Lou DiBella on uh, recently and Lou said he didn't think that a Serrano-Taylor fight was able to be put back together, at least not for the next 18 months or so. How do you feel about that matchup? Well, you know, there's been words back and forwards from both camps. And, you know, I kind of feel like we've been sort of uh, dragged along and teased on that one. And, and there's lots of things that we had to put into place to make Amanda happy for her to fight Amanda, uh, Katie Taylor. You know, first of all, we gave her the shot at another vacant world title at the Madison Square Garden uh, card. She won that fight with a first round knockout. We then made the Heather Hardy fight. Then we wanted to make the Katie Taylor fight again, but Amanda said she'd only fight if we gave her a warm-up in Miami. You know, so I gave her a warm-up in Miami. I then advanced her training expenses for the Katie Taylor fight. And of course, look, the pandemic is no one's fault. But you know, we obviously we weren't able to do the fight in May. We rescheduled it to August the twenty-second. I had a conversation with Lou DeBella about take the fire so it's it's i say it's upset katie taylor but in katie taylor's mind now that ship sailed so for us really serrano's out of the picture and it's full steam ahead um for delphine Pessoon too which you know is probably a more compelling fight than serrano with the first one that we saw that you you know you witness as well at madison square garden twenty thousand people on their feet in a very close fight a lot of people felt that delphine Pessoon won that fight so katie's out to prove a point in what, 12 days time? All right, one of the young fighters in your stable is going to get some big-time exposure in this on this card. Mark Castro, who you recently signed, a top amateur standout. Uh, tell me about why you brought Mark Castro into the fold and how you feel about his future. Well, when I moved into um, the American market a couple of years ago, obviously a plan for us is always to develop young talent. You know, we've done it here. We've taken the likes of Calia Fire, Luke Campbell, uh, Callum Smith, Anthony Joshua, from the pro, the, the amateur ranks and the Olympics to world championships or world championship fights. And that's a clear plan and strategy for us in America. And, you know, we've, we've done a great job in securing some very exciting prospects in Amo Williams and Nikita Ababi and Ray Ford and Otha Jones and Reshat Matty and the list goes on. But when I was inquiring about the prospects in the amateur system, the one name that always came back from people was Mark Castro. You've got to get Mark Castro. This kid is the one. So I've been beavering away for the last couple of years, you know, while he kept winning everything, you know, flying all around the world, hardly ever losing a fight. And when the opportunity came around with Keith Connolly, you know, our friend and Danny Jacobs, his manager, 
we jumped all over it. You know, I flew out to meet him. We flew him into the event at Phoenix, the Jacob Chavez event as well. And sometimes you just meet an individual and you see star qualities before you even really start talking to him or even look into their resume. We know with Castro, his resume is second to none. You know, one of the most um, achieved amateurs and proclaimed amateurs in, in the US set up for a long time. I love the fact that he's from Fresno. You know, he's got Ecuadorial, he's got Mexican background as well. He's absolutely been geared to become a world champion from his father, from his training. You know, they've, they've left no stone unturned probably since he was the age of five or six to achieve this goal. So for me, and knowing that Golden Boy wanted him, Top Rank wanted him, PBC wanted him, it was a big win for us to sign someone like Mark Castro. It's been a bit frustrating. He was supposed to debut in April and he's had to wait. It's been frustrating for him, but I'm excited to see him get going. We're going to give him the co-main event slot, really, although he's, you know, it's not a co-main event fight. We're placing him just before the main event to give him the big feel and, and we have to push him like the star that he is. You know, I liken him a lot to, to a Ryan Garcia, you know, but maybe with more pedigree. So I just, with the look of him and I think the way he talks, the way he fights, I think people are going to fall in love with Mark Castro and, and this is an important moment for him because people, when, when you have those achievements as an amateur, people are always ready to judge. So the pressure's on. You know, he, of course, he's got to win and, you know, it'd be a disaster if he doesn't, <laughs> but he's got to go and make a statement. You know, you want people to be flooding social media after that fight saying, wow, I love this kid. When's he next out? When's he next out? And, and that's what we've got to do. We've got to box him all around the world and we've got to build his brand from now. I think too many people, you know, think that you, you, you build a brand of someone once they start winning titles or world championships. That's not the case. And, you know, the big push is on for Mark Castro now. Does he remind you of anyone that you've worked with in the past? Um, no, I think that's a good question, really. I think he's almost um, probably not because I feel like he kind of feels like a star already, Mark Castro. You know, when we did the press conference and he turned up with a suit and the shades on, he has that aura about him. And that's an aura that comes through confidence, but also comes through results. You know, he believes he's he's a top, top fighter and he is. So, I don't think that we've really had that sort of that mix of uh, you know heritage and and pedigree and and star quality yet in America. And I think he's the kind of guy that could be filling stadiums in California. You know, I really believe that California, Fresno. You know, we've seen what um, Ramirez has done there with Rick Mirrigan and those guys. It's a very very attractive market, and they really get behind their own. And, and why wouldn't you get behind Mark Castro? Every American fight fan should get behind Mark Castro because you have a chance here of, of a superstar, in my opinion. But slowly by slowly, a lot of pressure on, on Saturday night for him to look good. And, you know, the naysayers are always out there, aren't they? When, you know, a young fighter maybe puts in a below-par performance. Oh, this kid's overrated. Oh, you know, all the hype. Boxing fans love that, don't they? <laughs> Rather than saying, great, he's off the mark. You know, he's learning, he's learning. So the pressure is on for Mark Castro to look good but I believe that's what he will do, and I believe that's what he's going to do for a lot of his career. So you've been having fights quite literally in your backyard over in the UK. Now, as you mentioned, you're taking uh, a fight in the US literally to the streets. The ring will be effectively at a cross-section of a neighborhood in Tulsa. Tell me about why you chose this type of venue uh, for this fight. Well, quite frankly, boxing in studios 
is absolutely rubbish. Rubbish. I mean, when you look at the ratings now across America for boxing, granted we've not had any major names yet come back through the pandemic because obviously we have a lack of crowds and it's, it's a big financial constraint. But how do you try and give the impression that this is a major sport when you are holding these events in some dark, soulless studio? If you're, a, if you're a viewer and you turn this on, do you honestly think these people are thinking this is a major sport, this is a major event? So part of you know, the, the thought process, and this goes with fight camp in our backyard and also on the streets of Tulsa is, when you turn on, you're compelled. You know, you're curious. You're thinking, what on earth is going on? You see the production, and you, it's got that big event feel. No longer at the moment can we give you 90,000 or 20,000 at the Staples Center or 10,000 at MSG or whatever it is. And for, for the viewer to say, wow, look at that crowd. You know, this is, this is a major event. So you have to be able to do it in other ways. And I think it's almost disrespectful to fighters to stage an event in a studio. This isn't a game show. This is a dangerous sport where we have to give fighters the platform to make them feel like stars, but also make them look like stars. Now, we've got fighters coming out here at the headquarters in the UK, fireworks going off, you know, the headquarters and the mansion behind. You see London in the distance. You've got the drone over the top. This is a big event feel. And it, that's important for the fighters, but that's important for our sport. And I feel like no one else in boxing is coming out with this kind of mindset. No one's trying to raise the bar in terms of the production values and the look and the feel of these events. Some fight fans say, oh, that doesn't matter. That Trust me, that matters. You are seeing time and time again, you know, these fights in studios, it's, it's, there's no energy, there's no buzz, you know, there's no big event feel. And yes, of course, the fights have to be good because ultimately that's the product. But before you even get to that moment, you have to make people feel that boxing is a major sport and this event is a major event. And when you tune into Tulsa, it's going to look wacky, it's going to look weird, but it's going to look great. And before the first bell's even rung, you're going to be switched on going, what is going on here? This is, this is amazing. Because we have to tell the story of this pandemic. You know, we have to tell people why we're here and how we're trying to push the boundaries and how the game is changing. And, and studios or empty conference rooms that's not pushing the boundaries. That's lazy. This, is, this has been a nightmare, Tulsa, you know, in terms of the setup. And here as well at Fight Camp, there's been times where I've been thinking, what are you doing? Why don't you just go into a studio? Because the answer is we're different. We don't do things like that. People are talking about Fight Camp all over the world. And people will tune in and see the images from Tulsa. And they'll be saying, look at what boxing's doing. Isn't that great for us all? No one yet has tuned into a boxing event in a studio or an empty conference room and gone, wow, look at what boxing's doing. So this is our attempt to do that. And I think you're going to like what you said. You've said. had two fight camps so far, third one on the way. Uh, you, how many technical difficulties have you had uh, during this process? Well, touch wood, it's not been too bad so far. We've had beautiful weather because obviously it's outdoors. We had beautiful weather the first two. This Friday is set for rain, but, you know, we will see. And then, of course, next week is it's the biggest card since the return from pandemic, you know, with White against Povetkin and Taylor against Bassoon. So that's kind of like our piece de resistance of the Fight Camp project, um, which we're very proud of because it's, you know, it's a real uh, struggle to, to make fights like that, to be quite honest with you, in this, in this environment. So that's a big challenge. 
technically, the, you know, the, the bigger problems have been around the isolation, the bubbles, the testing. We've had not one fighter test positive yet or any staff or anybody test positive yet. We've probably tested 400 people so far during this fight camp. Um, everybody for this week is also negative. We've had a positive test come in um, from a fighter pre-travel to uh, Tulsa. So obviously it's a bigger problem there. The numbers are more severe. So really, you know, it's a case of crossing your fingers on fight week in America and here as well. But the bigger problems seem to be stateside. But like I said, this is our attempt. And it's been a great challenge, Chris. You know, I think we've gone from week to week to week to week around the world for the last couple of years, just staging events. And here it's a different kind of challenge. That's why I'm so focused on the production values as well as the fights. Because that that is really important. We've seen Eddie over the last few weeks and months, Top Rank reveal its rest of the year schedule, at least part of it. Uh, Fox and Showtime have revealed part of their schedule with the PBC. We haven't heard much, if anything, uh, from you about your schedule in the U.S. for the rest of the year. How close are you to finalizing and being able to announce uh, some fights for the rest of the calendar year? We're pretty close now. Um, I think the reason for the delay in that respect is probably around the Canelo Alvarez issue and, and planning the dates for, for the schedule for DAZN. So I think next week you'll get an announcement on our schedule, certainly through September and October. Um, it's no secret about the fights that are in the melting pot. You know, you have Devin Haney will defend his 135-pound WBC title. Eurokis Gamboa is a name that we're talking to amongst others. And then you've got the whole Estrada and Chocolatito element you know does Estrada fight Quadras and Chocolatito fight on that card and then we just do the big one in February or March outdoors at the StubHub when when we're ready it feels like a kind of a disappointment to do that fight without the wild Mexican fans and, and Californian fans and then of course we have Ryan Garcia against Luke Campbell you know we have um, Demetrius Andre to return we have Anthony Joshua we have Gennady Golovkin to schedule as well so there is a huge amount of work going in behind the scenes. I think a lot of people were kind of waiting on the date confirmation of Canelo Alvarez on September 12th. That clearly looks like it's not an option. Um, but it's challenging, very challenging, you know, particularly for those kind of guys, Canelo, AJ, Gennady Golovkin. We have Usyk Chisora to schedule as well. So when you, you start talking about all those fights, you know that the schedule for DAZN you know, through September onwards is going to be coming thick and fast and is going to be compelling. And we're not too far away from our side to to announcing that. Um, and obviously, the zone have the bigger job of trying to schedule those bigger names. You know, Gennady Golovkin, Anthony Joshua, and Canelo Alvarez. You know, kind of like three of the flagship guys from from the zone. Um, our job is to help Gennady Golovkin get his fight cemented, but also to put in the fight for AJ against Pulev. Very difficult, but one thing's for sure: they will all be fighting this year. You have been on the inside to a degree of those Canelo Alvarez negotiations because you have two fighters that have been in the mix for that Canelo fight. I mean, how would you describe how those conversations have gone with Canelo's team, with Golden Boy, when it comes to Billy Joe Saunders and Caleb Smith? Um, you know, we, I think we have a decent relationship with Golden Boy. You know, I mean, we're not going to invite each other around for, Frank, for Thanksgiving, <laughs> but we have an open line of communication um, and we like doing business with Golden Boy. It's very difficult for everybody. I, don't, I think it's impossible to criticize anybody at the moment. You know, sometimes, you know, our old friend Mike Coppinger will go on and go, oh, this is a right mess. What's going on? You know, and, it, and the truth is, 
it's nobody's fault. You know, we're in a position. We all know that if there was no pandemic, Canelo Alvarez would have fought Billy Joe Saunders on Cinco de Mayo. And if he would have won, he would have fought Canelo Alvarez in September. Now the world Golovkin, has changed. Golovkin, right, September. Sorry, Golovkin, yeah, yeah, in September. Now we know the world has changed. It's not that easy. You know, if you're a fighter that's going to generate somewhere between eight and $10 million on the game, and you've also now got, you know, the, the broadcast world looking at these events and saying, well, it's a studio event. You know, we're not, we haven't got the, the you know, the, the noise of fight week. We haven't got the fighter entrances at the MGM Grand. We haven't got the weighing in front of 10,000 people. So is this still delivering the same value to us as before? And that's another argument. So I don't think anyone can be to blame about Canelo Alvarez not fighting on September 12th. And Golden Boy have a very difficult job on their hand, as we do with Anthony Joshua, because a lot of the time, Chris, the fighters aren't really out there looking for the solutions. That's down to you as the promoter. Yes, they understand there's a pandemic and they might be willing to listen about, you know, different kind of deals and way, ways we can make the, the fight happen. But at the same time, I'm not going to AJ yet saying, oh, you've got to take a pay cut. I'm going to him and saying, I've got to try and come up with a solution to subsidize the gate revenue. So I think that, you know, in terms of the conversations on the ground, I think right now, Canelo Alvarez wants to fight Callum Smith. I think, you know, he's the number 168 pounder in the world. He's a WBA super champion. He's a ring magazine champion. And Canelo has consistently proved that he wants to face the champions and he deserves a huge amount of credit and respect for that. But again, Callum Smith is the most expensive of those options. So, you know, I think Canelo Alvarez has got a big decision on his hands. Does he take a fight maybe for the money or a package that he, he's not overly happy with? this year or does he just wait till Cinco de Mayo and I think a lot of people are going to be faced with that question who generate a, a substantial gate Anthony Joshua is also faced with that question the answer I can tell you now has already been decided he will fight mm. behind closed doors or not behind closed doors so there will be fighters you will see take a year a year and a half out of the game it's not great for the sport or their profile but ultimately it's down to them and I hope that Canelo Alvarez and Golden Boy can work out a model to, to make him fight in, in 2020. And even better if it's one of our, against one of our guys. Uh, before I let you go, we've seen ratings for boxing in the U.S. Uh, dip pretty significantly. I mean, Top Rank uh, had some of their issues with their shows. Uh, we've seen Showtime return with low ratings. Fox returned with low ratings. What has been your takeaway from that? I mean, do you, do you learn anything from what these other promoters and networks have put on that kind of shape your vision for boxing for the rest of the year? Well, I think when we, you know, before we start criticizing other promotional companies, I think the obvious answer to that is we just haven't had the names and the fights yet to garner significant interest and significant ratings. But if you want to be critical, my, my criticism comes that I don't feel that there's been enough noise behind the return our return this saturday i'm not saying it's a huge fanfare but it's you know we're coming back into the marketplace you know with an event before we move into the major stuff into into september and october and behind that has to be significant fanfare this also goes back to the settings and the environment what we've done here with fight camp we've pushed this project for for three months you know people were ready to watch tune in and watch fight camp they're not ready to tune in and watch a show in a studio in the middle of nowhere against two guys they've never heard of before. So, you know, it comes with perception of 
big time sports, big time boxing. Let's be honest, there's many sports that have been delivering poor ratings across the field since the return from the pandemic. It's not just boxing that's suffering. Boxing, there will always be a huge market and huge interest in big fights. That will never leave us. What we have to do is work even harder now on the normal fight nights that are fantastic as well to make sure that the, the boxing fans and the audience are aware of who's fighting, aware of their stories. But we have to push the boundaries on a production level to say, this is boxing as we know it now. You know, and we've got all kinds of ideas. Like when we come back in September for Haney or October for Estrada, I'm not interested really in, in going in those studios. I want to do something crazy. So at least people are turning in saying, wow, look at what boxing's doing. Because we're not necessarily even competing now against each other in terms of promoters. We're competing against other sports. We're scrapping now to show the broadcasters that boxing has a future. And it does have a huge future. But if we get lazy, if we get complacent, if we don't push the boundaries, we have no future. So that's what I feel everyone's got to start doing. But again, once we start seeing these major names return, you will see the numbers increase naturally. But not if it's in a soulless studio with no story and no razzmatazz. You know, razzmatazz is key. Perception is key. Build it and they will come. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of cliches right there to finish there, Eddie. I appreciate your time. Uh, looking forward to uh, those future venues and, of course, taking it to the streets in Tulsa, uh, McCaskill versus Breakus, undisputed 147. Don't forget Madrimov as well. Madrimov. Madrimov. He's probably my favorite fighter. I said the other day, you know, if I was a 154-pound champion and that guy was breathing down my neck, I would need a new pair of pants because he's going to be a massive problem for everybody. And... Saturday night, toughest fight for him so far. Final eliminator as well for the WBA title. You're just test driving lines left and right on uh, on this show, Eddie. <laughs> I appreciate it. Good luck uh, at Fight Camp, and of course, good luck in Tulsa. Cheers, guys. See you later. Coming up next, welterweight champion Cecilia Brekus. Well, Cecilia, you headlined the last fight card on HBO, and now here you are headlining the first all-women's main event on H on DAZN. Uh, how are you feeling about this? I feel very proud. I'm very happy about it. And, of course, it's a huge motivation for me when I go into camp. I'm very excited to be part of this. Uh, you know, right now, uh, women boxing is just booming. It's exploding. And I just feel... I'm just happy that I can be a small part of it. I don't know how much time left I have in this, uh, in boxing, but just to be able to be a part of what I always told that women boxing, that it will come and people will be watching, people will be entertained, and now it's here. I am so happy that I was able to just be a part of that. What do you like about women's boxing right now? I love that these all all these amazing fights on uh, the big platforms you have you have the the best fighting the best world champions they don't even uh, you know they get a phone call and they say hey you want to put your belts up against another world champion it's like yes let's do it let's go and that's pretty much it and you know we had some amazing fights and i'm sure it's just the beginning your undisputed welterweight championship is on the line in this fight against Jessica McCaskill, but you'll also be attempting to have your 26th world title defense. That would be 
one more than Joe Lewis, passing Lewis for the most consecutive title defenses. How much does that mean to you? Well, I'm trying not to think too much about it. Just stay focused, laser focused in camp and do, you know, focus on my tasks. But when I think about it, I use it as motivation. And, uh, you know, if I break this uh, record, you know, it's it will be history. And uh, I doubt uh, anybody will break the record again in the in a long time so uh, so it's definitely a big <laughs> it's a big deal but i'm trying not to focus too much on that when you first got into boxing and won a world title did you ever think you'd be defending a world title 26 times no <laughs> never i was i knew i was going to be a world champion but what's happening now it's um and uh, i'm just here for the ride and i'm just taking everything in and the, the comparison to when I started boxing, you wouldn't even believe it. It's such a night and day, and uh, I'm just uh, enjoying everything right now and seeing the next generation coming up uh, and, and the veterans get their spot in, in the spotlight. I think everything is amazing right now. You had a few options for who you could fight next. Why Jessica McCaskill? Well, she's been on our radar for uh, some time. She wasn't really ready. And uh, I think the fight she had against uh, Katie Taylor uh, was a very good fight. And she's coming back even stronger, defeating um, a really seasoned and, and good champion like Farias. And she she feels she's ready now. And uh, I, I'm ready to take on the challenge. You have two world champions going up uh, to, to make a great uh, fight. And I think... Uh, um, the way we both uh, box and our, our styles will make this a very, very interesting uh, fight. What do you find dangerous about McCaskill? Well, McCaskill is good. I mean, she's good. I'm just better. She is, uh, you know, she's strong. She she comes forward and uh, and she is uh, she has a great physical uh, and great conditioning, but. Um, uh, all over, uh, I'm a better fighter. I don't underestimate her for one second. We have had one hell of a camp up here, uh, but I feel great and I feel confident. This is a fight that was originally planned for April. The pandemic obviously got in the way. Um, how has the pandemic affected your training? Well, I have to be honest, for me personally, it's been a good thing because I normally traveling back and forth from um, my camp here in the states to norway my home country and i'm always uh, i'm always on the road you know and staying in one place for uh, for a couple of months that has um, that has really been good to me and i think honestly i can see i'm in my best shape in many many years what's the experience been like for you working up in big bear with abel sanchez <laughs> well, I have to, everybody who's been up in Big Bear knows that this is, uh, that is definitely no joke. And these, um, these altitudes does something about you, but it also gives you, it gives me a lot of strength, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, it gives me a lot of um, power 
be around the nature, being around, you know, the, the fresh air, the, the trees, the, the, the hills, the mountains. I love it. And, uh, and just be able to settle down for a couple, for, for a couple of months. And the, the solitude has uh, done me very well. Um, the training is brutal. It's, uh, it's very, very hard. So I, I, um, I can't wait to get up the, got to get up in the ring and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, show everything we've been working on. You don't want to look past anybody, especially not a woman as talented as Jessica McCaskill, but you are undisputed at 147. Katie Taylor's out there undisputed at 135. Uh, she's going to fight a week after you do. Is it your hope that if you win this fight, your next one is against Katie Taylor. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yes. That would be the biggest fight in women boxing without comparison. You know, one of the questions people have had about you, Cecilia, has been that you have stayed your entire career at 147 while some other women, most recently women like Katie or Clarissa Shields, have gone up and down in weight for different fights. Why have you chosen to stay at that weight uh, so consistently? Well, it's easy because I am the one who has, uh, have, who has brought the, uh, the audience uh, the revenue, the TV, uh, I don't have to, uh, you know, I don't have to change my uh, weight division. I have, um, I have actually got to fight different world champions uh, coming down one and two weight division. And I also had to fight um, world, champions, world champions coming up. Uh, so I have fought a lot of world champions in my weight division and, uh, and uh, the weight division around them. So I, um, I feel really lucky that I have been in position that has been able to, uh, to manage and been able to do that. You're regarded as the number one pound-for-pound pound woman boxer in the world. Uh, there's another marketable star above you in Clarissa Shields. She has talked about a fight against you at 154 pounds. Does it interest you at all to move up to fight a Clarissa Shields? Oh yeah, definitely. She was actually first on our list when I uh, when I closed uh, out HBO. But uh, you know, I can't do that fight because they don't take us seriously. And you know, they were offering pocket change, and and we didn't even we couldn't uh, you know consider that uh, that offer they made. Uh, we uh, they are welcome to come and come to the table again because we but. But just, uh, <laughs> just be serious, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you have said that you don't know how much time you have left in boxing. Do you have a clock on how long you want to be a fighter? Do you know how many more fights you want to have before you retire? <laughs> well, I, I definitely, you know, it's uh, uh, time is ticking. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just, you have to understand the, the history behind behind this too you know uh, when I started I, I wasn't even allowed to go to Olympics the doors for women was closed uh, shut uh, in front of me so being a part of this is something that really motivates me and push me forward so I hope I have a couple more fights left for sure and uh, training up here in Big Bear with uh, in the summit and with uh, Abel Sanchez I think we can uh, push out some more fights <laughs> 
But looking forward to this one against Jessa McCaskill. Uh, Cecilia, good luck to you on Saturday. Thank you. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.